everyone. I'm Alexis Williams, and welcome to Scaling Enterprise Agility, Tough Conversations with CXOs, a podcast from Accenture and Atlassian, where we discuss how businesses can be really intentional about their ways of working. This is episode two of our session with special guest Wendy Zacchio, CIO at Zealous. I'm the global head of strategic alliances at Atlassian, and I'm joined by my co-host, Christian Kelly, strategy managing director at Accenture. In our first episode, we spoke with Wendy about successfully scaling enterprise agility and how to overcome some very real challenges when leading this kind of transformation. We're excited to share our talk with Wendy in this episode as she reveals more about her journey to enterprise agility and navigating some of those challenges in her new role at Zealous. We hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. So Wendy, tell us a little bit more about Zealous. At Zealous, we are modernizing healthcare financial experience to make it easier for consumers to understand the healthcare journey. We partner with payers and providers so that we can achieve this with data-driven technology-based solutions using healthcare experts. These are people who are experts in their field. It's pretty amazing. I love it. CK, I know you are deeply, deeply passionate about myth-busting. So what, in your opinion, both of your opinions, are the top five when it comes to myth-busting on enterprise agility? Oh, did, you pay her, did you pay her to, to say this? Slip I, think 20, I did, slipped her a 20 for this. <laughs> Maybe it was the wine. Listen, I think the, the first big myth for me is following the taillights of choose your favorite company and try and under, try and be successful following what they do but having zero understanding of their context. So that's number one. I'll do number two, pass it over to you. Number two is thinking that technology, whatever the next buzzword bingo in technology is gonna solve all my innovation problems, solve all of my revenue problems. Listen, it's been like 20 years of one and like time and time again, go do this, go do this. CIOs and CTOs didn't get any value out of it the last time. Why do we expect that they're gonna get the value out of it this time just implementing a technology? Those are my top two. So I would say that one of my top, top myths is we'll just automate that. Well, mm. if you have a bad process, you just spent money to automate a bad mm. process and it's going to keep following you around. So ideally, it, there's some low-hanging fruit and there's some opportunity there. You can certainly automate some things that won't really differentiate you in the market. But if you're talking about driving automation in a meaningful way, you need to make sure that you're driving the right automation. We don't need faster, bad problems. That's right. Yeah. Makes well, sense. I also liked your other one. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to adopt it. Is you had said earlier this idea of it's not that you don't have the right talent. It's you're not using your talent appropriately. Like you made a prediction earlier. I predict within the next three to five years, we won't be talking about employee experience anymore even though that's the new hotness, it's like we will be talking about employee success yeah. and the CHRO's job will be about employee success. And they're probably going to get deeper into every other C-level conversation to ensure employees are successful in the work they're doing, no matter if they're in technology. What, it doesn't matter what part of the organization for me. Well, and I would say the last one I would throw in is the myth that if you just bring in another external firm, if you just bring in somebody from the outside, they can fix it all without your people, that they can do it on the side. No, if, if you're going to invest in that external partner or partners, 
you need to make sure that they are going to have access to your teams so that they can bring their expertise and their skills and they can leverage the expertise and skills of your people, put it all together, magic happens. So the myth is, oh yeah, I'll just bring in some external consultants and they'll wave a magic wand and, or grow magic beans or it's whatever. All it's all better. That's right. We love magic. We love magic. creating magic. And that's why you want to choose the right partner and you want to make sure that they have access to your people. Absolutely. So I have a question. I was thinking about the conversation, not only the one we've been having today, but the one we originally started with. And you keep using this term enterprise agility. And I, I believe I understand what you mean. Could you kind of break that down for me a little bit? Tell me your definition of enterprise agility. Yeah, yeah, great question. So the textbook definition for enterprise agility really is connecting strategy to execution through data and through insights. Okay. I think what the reality of enterprise agility is and what we are bringing out to market through our partnership is helping companies operate in the most agile fashion that allows them to be the best version of themselves. I mean, I'd add that you look at it and you say, what are the questions that we're answering with this? So if I'm the CIO, I'm looking at it and saying, am I getting the best execution from my teams? Are we doing the right things? And where's the data and the visibility to that data that shows me we're doing the right thing? In product engineering, we've talked about it as, this is a big money expenditure, just like it is in IT, but are we driving the outcomes that we signed up for, right. the customer outcomes? If I'm the CFO, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, in most companies now, like my IT budgets are going crazy, right? And am I getting the outcome for that? Can I connect it to revenue growth, cost reduction? Hopefully it's more revenue growth than cost reduction or a, ba or a good balance. And then you get down, you break down the components of it. And it's sort of like cloud. It's one of those phrases where you actually have to define it at three levels deeper, which is, okay, I got a portfolio of things. Can I do all those things? Can I manage the capacity of all those things? How much time am I spending on dependencies between those things? If I've gone through, if I'm a Nuevo company and I love a goal-setting framework like V2Moms or OKRs or Choose Your Goal-Setting Framework, can I actually track that down to the actual real work that teams are doing. Like we were talking about this, we were talking about this, about the idea that Agile's 22 years old and the teams have sort of got it. There's some financial services organizations that are actually laying off their Agile coaches because they're like, we're done at the team level. But at the enterprise level, have we really delivered that goodness that the teams are doing so that even the CFO is saying, yep, I get it. I know how all those goals that we set as an organization are actually being manifested in work. So does success look like the finance team is an agile team? Is that what success looks like in enterprise agility? I think success in enterprise agility, not just the finance team, I think it's across all of the business where we're all sharing a common set of goals together to enable ultimately the outcomes for the customers. I think that it is so rare to be a hundred year old company and that you have to continuously be reinventing sustainable innovation. And so if you look at all of the folks that need to care and be aligned in sharing the same goal, that's not easy to do, right? And so there's also this translation layer of what everyone is saying and what they're thinking. And sometimes it's ships passing in the night. And I would love your perspective. You talked about 
as a CIO having this translation sort of role. <laughs> I actually think that's really, really rare. I don't think that a lot of tech, like CIOs or, or just businesses, companies in general can do that. So for you, what does that look like to be able to translate to the business and get them brought along? Because ultimately, everyone needs to be sponsoring what we're trying to achieve together. Well, I don't want to give away my secret sauce. I'm just kidding. I honestly feel like it's a it's a pretty basic concept of putting yourself in the other person's shoes. So when I am talking to my business leader, my business boss, my business colleague, whatever, I keep going back to the fundamental concepts of organizational change management. Why? Why should they care? So we have to start with the, the concept of why do they even want to hear me talk about Agile? Well, they don't. They just want to know that they're getting the business value. So you do start back with, okay, so what is the end game? And sometimes I think that, and this is a, it's a bit of a challenge. This is, again, this is back to the straight talk yeah. idea. There is a lot of innovation or attempted innovation going on right now. And right. Yeah. there's all these, you know, shiny, shiny object. Oh, there's a squirrel, you know, whatever. And people are off and running at it. But we really need to step back and ask the question, does this get us closer to whatever it is that our business mission, vision, values, are we aligned? One of the best statements I ever heard made about Agile was listening to two people literally have an argument about Agile versus Waterfall. Mm -hmm. And one person, who shall remain nameless for protection purposes, said, well, I want to go to Agile because then we never have to plan again. And the person on the other side of the conversation was actually a trained Agile person. And I thought that person was going to lose her mind because she said, no, no, no. It means you actually plan more. But planning, I think, it can be equated to not delivering. You could plan yourself to death, but that's not what Agile is either. So back to your point about translating bringing the business through that and helping them understand that, yes, we're going through these iterations, but these iterations drive clarity. They drive clarity of what you really want us to deliver. And so you need to be at the table. We need your people at the table. It's not a side job. It is the job. And I wonder if, if people really start to understand the value of going on this journey together because technology is not going to become less important. It's right. going to become more. Yep. Chat GPT. I mean, now you can just type in a question and next thing you know, oh, it gives you the, the whole history of war and peace in two paragraphs. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Right. We're not on a path to make technology less important. It's going to become more important. So if we can figure out how, and, and I, I say we in this sense of being a technologist, if we can figure out how to help our, our business partners who are experts in their own areas sit at the table with us, then we can bring our technology expertise to the table to ensure that net-net the business wins. That's how I think about the translator role. And to me, it feels like that's, that should be a natural part of what we're doing. So it's so interesting that you say that because, you know, in being in this space, I can't tell you how many companies went down this path and we'd go through and I used to believe that this was interesting, you know, doing the digital native tours. And so, like, you have Agilist in their own dogma and language talking about how they do things and the business people are looking at that and going, what is that? That's really strange. Doesn't look like 
what we do, doesn't look like our place, and they're all in their ceremonies, and then you have, and I'm myth-busting too a little bit here, and then they say, see, we don't need any of that structure or those systems because look at the digital natives, they got there without doing that. And that's like, I've had to bust that mythology over and over and over again that sustainable innovation is actually driven by having a system. You don't just wake up and like right. it's, it's boom. A, you, otherwise, it's it's just a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. So right. sustainability is key. So yeah. the the CEO of Zealous uh, is is absolutely amazing about this. So we we've talked about how we have to continue to evolve as a company. We have to continue to grow, and we can't rest on our laurels. Mm -hmm. And it's not about well, each silo needs to do their own thing. It's we're one zealous. Mm. So I do think there's an element of that saying, well, I don't care that you're the CFO or that I'm the CIO or, or you're the, the chief people officer or right. whatever it may be. It's really about we're on the same team and we need to work with some common language and common capabilities, common processes so that we're, we're delivering. Again, what did you say earlier? You want the business to be the best version of itself? Yeah. 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 So that's how we get there. So, so critical. I think when we look at enterprise agility, companies that are really agile and nimble, they're continuously innovating, right? And so those companies are disruptors, they're disrupting. It sounds like Zealous on a very similar path. How do you look at disruption and the response to being a disruptor in the market? So I, it comes back to something that we were talking about a, a couple of minutes ago. Mm -hmm. I think the term disruption is thrown around a, a lot uh, much like digital native is. Right. Yeah. But to your point, I think you're talking about true disruption. This is when you actually come into an industry, you're doing it completely differently, and the dinosaurs that have been there for you know, 50, 100 years suddenly are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And I think that, so what, what I can tell you from my third week at Zealous is that it seems that what we are trying to do is complement, as we're disrupting the bad experience that consumers and providers and payers have. We're trying to disrupt that experience. We're not necessarily trying to disrupt the industry. We're trying to make it better. Right. And that's where I wonder about the, the next phase of disruption. It won't be about, at least I hope, it's not necessarily about free market capitalism. It's about how are we making things better using technology so that everyone's lives are better. And when I think about what we're doing at Zealous, I think that's it fits perfectly mm -hmm. because we're we recognize there's a lot of expertise in the industry. Look, the healthcare industry can use a lot of help, no doubt about it. Okay. So we're doing our part. We're disrupting what's a bad, a very bad process or set of processes. I do think that companies that rest on their laurels and don't focus on sustainable in innovation, they don't focus on ways to bring their people on the journey to rethink things won't survive. Yeah. That is so consistent. No, it's a nerve because <laughs> that, re that report <laughs> that we just released is just says this. It's like even the hypergrowth companies, even the ones that everybody looked to, the compression of their life cycle is massive. I think it's something like 43% of the jobs that are in the hypergrowth companies could be augmented by technology now. Your reference to chat GPT somewhere upwards of 35% could be entirely automated. So it's not just the old you know, quote-unquote dinosaur, it's that it's all compressing. Well, it's and like Moore's Law, just applied to Applied to all business. the work we do, right? Exactly. I, and I think the, the disruption comes in 
So we tie in, what is the business really trying to do? So having that clarity of mind, and that is, to me, that is what product ownership really is, that clarity of mind, that clarity of ownership, this is what I'm trying to achieve. This is where I'm trying to land as a company, as a business. You tie that to, and there needs to be a, a common system, and I'm not talking technology, common system, a systemic way to do so, and I think that's Rules what you road. mean. Rules of the road. And, and to your point, common processes, common technologies are, are tools, and I think that's what you're referencing when you're talking about enterprise agility. Yeah. You put that in, and then on top of that, you put the will of human beings who are involved in this to make things better using the technology that we have, which is constantly evolving and getting better, and there we have the, the disruption. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is true disruption. It's not just in pockets. Yeah. Did that answer your question? That did answer. Okay, yeah. very cool. Thank you. Cool. Um, and we got CK to get all excited. We got so him excited. Very, that, very good. I'm easily, it's a win. I'm easily excitable <laughs> when we're talking about changing the path of companies. <laughs> it's a super passion. I mean, the whole thing is we're incredibly passionate about it. Like, we're just so excited. But uh, pivoting a little bit. So in your opinion, what do you think is sort of some of the common pitfalls of of the business side of things? And how can they when it comes to being more open to change, when it comes to agile transformations, how can they be a better partner to you? And I'm sure you have a wealth of experience to draw on. Where can they do better? In my experience, again, I go back to something we, we talked about a few minutes ago, that I don't think that there are evil business people sitting around saying, how can I be in the way of, of IT? I do think that exactly <laughs> grew or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's it's more about how can IT articulate what they need from the business a little better? Mm. Uh, something yeah. that you said earlier about the, the value. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking to a CFO, as a CIO, my job is to talk in numbers. My job is to help him or her understand why this is going to be valuable to them. It's not necessarily a cost-cutting exercise, but if I can articulate through data, through proof points, uh, that, that was something I was going to mention about our, our CEO at uh, Zealous, Amanda Eisel. She wants us to deliver proof points along the way. It's not about this big flash of, okay, in two years we're going to achieve this. It's what are your proof points along the way, along your journey that show that you're making the progress? Right. And I think, so if I'm a CFO, not only do I want to see numbers on a, on a spreadsheet that say, oh, this is a good idea, but I also want proof points that you're spending my money wisely. Mm -hmm. The CFO is the steward of the financials for the company. If you're a chief people officer, well, how is this going to impact our people? How is this going to make it better? And I could go on and on. So I think the key is we have to make sure that we are articulating to the business why we need them in a way that they can understand yeah. and consume. Then what I need from them is to give us a chance. Mm -hmm. Try it. Honestly, I can give example after example in my career where I have encountered people who just did not want to do whatever it was. Yeah. They just, it, it was like, this is a no-go for me. But in, the, in reality, we just needed people to take a chance. We needed to say, you know what? We'll give you a quarter. We'll give you three months. Here's your product owners. These are the key people. What do you need from them? Roll them in. That is the fastest way to get adoption because I, then they don't want to leave. Right. Then, then they're like, whoa, 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 this is working so great. Oh, and by the way, because if you perform Agile correctly and you execute through the process and the tools and the ceremonies like you're supposed to, you'll get through one PI and you will have achieved something, mm -hmm. maybe many things. Right. And you can see it, you can feel it, you can taste it, and that's a lot different than a waterfall experience. Well, and that's when you asked the question about five minutes ago about 
do you believe the business should be agile? I fundamentally believe within the next three to five years that if you are not all using the same systems, rules of the road, common lexicon for how we get stuff done in a business, from marketing to legal to contracts, you're going to be moving too slow. And when everything's super, super compressed, if you're having to do talk translation inside your organization, and these people are over here, they're looking at different data, they can't see you know, how your marketing plan fits with your technology plan, it's going to be too slow. Well, I, I think I, I imagine a world, <laughs> Wendy's perfect world, I imagine a world where that finance analyst opens up JIRA, writes a user story about exactly what that person needs the, the finance system to do, and next thing you know, it shows up in our backlog to be groomed, uh, prioritized, et cetera, by the product owner of that financial system. And we're off to the races. They didn't call a service desk. They didn't have to open a ticket. They didn't have to sit in 14 different meetings. It was right there. And I'd love to see a world where, in that, the CEO has an OKR that is shared between technology and the CFO to drive a leading indicator result like you're talking about. And even the lowest level, you know, whatever we're going to call them at that point, product owner, engineer, whatever, can see that the work that they're doing flows all the way up through that system and they're on the same page with the rest of the teams. And even the supply chain folks could see that what they're doing on that side is part of the OKR, part of the release trains that get into a product that is either for internal use or for external use. Yep. Like that's, that's nirvana mm -hmm. for me is that that happens. Yes. Okay, so I want to test something out with you. All right. You were talking about just getting the business brought along, right? And so I think that there is an element of fear in getting them to do that. I also think that it's just an inability to make a decision at times, right? Whether it's we need to go analyze more data, we need, can you talk about when it comes to like making decisions, what that looks like, what in your lens that should look like? Because I do, like I said, think it's somewhat fear-based, but then I think it's also, can we just make a decision? Can you just give us a chance? And the business sometimes being like, well, you know, waffling a little bit. So this may be my, my, uh, Jump out of the seat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so decision making is is one of my. I don't know if it's a pet peeve or what, but I think a lot of the times no one knows who can say yes. Mm -hmm. So they don't know who can say yes. They don't know who can say no. That's not necessarily a business person's problem or fault, but it's well, I guess it is their problem, but it is not their necessarily their fault. Go back to the question at the, that we talked about a little bit ago. When you're talking about defining the outcomes you want and you're really trying to refine those, those epics, those user stories, et cetera, to ultimately deliver on business value, mm -hmm. I think you also have to define a decision maker. The mm -hmm. fact that you don't know who can say yes or who can say no is a little insane to me. It's like, okay, seriously, probably can't say that, can I? It's a little challenging, I think, mm -hmm. to, to consider that we could actually run a business without decision makers. The decision can may be hard, but either you need to make it or you don't. Make sure you're clear who the decision maker is. We used to, the, the phrase we used was, who has the D? Who mm -hmm. is going to make the decision? And you didn't start anything unless you knew who had the D. Mm -hmm. And I wish that we could do more of that where people really knew who could make that call. I do think that companies that operate in a, a team orientation. And by the way, it's been pretty cool. Three weeks into Zealous, I'm seeing this. 
people come together and say, okay, we have a problem. What are we going to do about it? And you put a small number of people together and say, how do we solve for this? And you figure out who's going to make the call. Okay, that is who has the D. And then they know when to make the call. But the other piece of that equation is knowing when to make it. It's not just knowing who can make it, it's knowing when. And this is where I raise my hand as the CIO. Part of our jobs as technologists, technology leaders, is to step up to the plate and say, you're at a critical juncture here. You really do need to make a call because we're going to continue to burn money, resources, and time, and not necessarily in a valuable way unless we make a call. And if you want us to keep going because you're not ready to make a call, we respect that. But we're going to step up to the table and own that. I do think that there are many times where the IT leader or the IT person in the room doesn't take that accountability and really lean in and say, you know what, I can actually see that this is going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. We have to step up to the plate and talk to that decision maker and really make can it clear. Can I jump back out of Go my ahead. seat on that one? I love that you're going there. I Let me add a couple things, test them, and then give me straight talk if you think they're wrong. I think the other thing, having the D, definitely. There's two other things that I think are plaguing companies because they'll do, we'll do lean portfolio management. Sorry about the air quotes, all my agilists, but it is a thing, right? We'll do, we'll institute who's got the D, but what we, have failed to do thus far, many companies, is actually give people a framework for making the decision based on data. Like I'm a big fan of two or three frameworks like Rice++, but you try and implement that, even in some of the better, the best of the best companies, and they're like, whoa, that seems like a lot of work to say what my reach and engagement is gonna be. It actually is real big kid work, and it's hard to get people to do the work to do that. So for me, I think there's a lot about proper frameworks for making the work. And then I think that fear thing, mm-hmm. I'm not a fanboy for any one tech company's process, but one that I have really liked over time is this idea of having type one and type two decisions. Type one decisions are intuition-based the people who've been there, That's done where that, I was know go it, right? A little bit about, there and, is an intuition piece. Right. And then there's type two decisions, which are like you open the door. Fact based. And they're fact based. And it, you're, not, you're not betting the company on the decision. So you can go back through that door and it's all good. One way door versus one way, two way door. Two, two, two way doors. Yes. It's like, I think that people, they don't get to the level of detail that gets the teams to say, oh, we have a type one versus a type two decision here. And we're using data for those decisions. So myth bust me on that. Like in your experience, what is, when you have the D, how do you, how do you make sure that the D is the right D and they're enabled? So I'm glad you talked, I've never heard it referred to as type one or type two. So I've learned something today. So thank you for that. So for the, the type one, I do think there are times when actually your intuition gives you a leading indicator before you could get to data. Sometimes you just can't get data that's going to give you those answers. The idea that you do have some that are very clearly data-driven, those can be defined actually as part of your agile delivery. You can state that, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to try this out for this period of time with this scope, and we're going to see for, you know, a month, three months, whatever it is, we're going to see what our response rate is. And if we don't get it above a 10% threshold or whatever it may be, right. we're killing it. We're going to stop it. Yeah. We're going to do something different. We're going to do something <laughs> different. But we're, we're going to go back through that door, the two-way door. We're going yeah. to go back through the door and we're going to say, okay, 
that, that we learned something. The, the whole idea that the term fail fast, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually prefer learn fast. Yeah. So try something. And, and if it's a low cost test and learn for you and your company, why not? Right. Because you may actually learn something by doing that that you wouldn't have gotten. In other words, what, what was it? Uh, I don't know if Benjamin Franklin said this, but if he didn't, he should have. You know, he, he didn't. He didn't um, come up with a way to make a light bulb. He failed ninety-nine times first, or something. I can't right. remember the exact. Quote. That was Edison, but it's Edison, a, that's, thank that's you. the quote. You're was, right. Yeah. Maybe it should have been Franklin. Right. I mean, didn't maybe he, he should have done everything? that after the yeah, kite and the whole thing, right? <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. So yeah, so Thomas Edison said, you know, I, but wait a minute, didn't he steal the light bulb from somebody else? There's this whole thing with Tesla, and there's like all kinds of conspiracy theories on the interwebs, but he, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, whatever it may be. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it was Michael Jordan who said that uh, something about winning the games and losing. He, I need to work yeah. on these quotes. I'll take that for the next podcast if <laughs> you guys have it back. Yeah, action item. Give me a Jordan quote. Exactly. Come on, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan quote, quote next. That's right. But I, I do think there's something about the idea of us being comfortable that if it's a small risk, and this is where I think it could be. It's the risk-taking. You're not always making big bets. And actually, if you're operating the way that disruptive companies operate, you take small bets. They can be meaningful bets, but they're small. And then you can build on them, regardless which way you went through the door. So if you went back through the door because you learned that, hey, that didn't work, you probably learned something about why it didn't right. work. Weird. So shameless plug, though, this is the essence of why you need the systems of accountability and the data across your organization for enterprise agility. Because if you have to do that with duct tape, bailing wire, and dueling spreadsheets, how do you know? Or 10 different tools that do the same thing. There's that That don't too. talk to each other. Yeah. yeah you yeah. can have that too. And having that visibility, I think that that's, that's also a key within enterprise agility. Like you need to have that visibility. We talk about that a lot. I also think there's a, an aspect, back to your original question about what do CIOs need from the business. It's the recognition that technology is not a cost center. Mm. I mean, it is a cost center, but it's not just a cost center. It's actually enabling your business. It's making your business possible. That doesn't mean that IT people are more important than anybody else. It just means that they're part of a very, very important aspect of what makes your company successful. And I do think that there's a tendency at times, at least what I've seen, to assume that IT is a cost. Yeah. And it's, it's more than a cost. And I think if we could do a better job to help our business partners understand that it's, it's more than that, it's not just a cost, I think that'd be great. In fairness to my current company, I do want to say that, and it could be because it's a fintech, it doesn't really feel like that. It really feels like it's about, we know how valuable our technology is. It's really about making the right decisions, back to the point about, where do we place our bets? Where do we make sure that we continue to evolve and grow and deliver on the promise that Zealous is bringing to market? But I think in some of the more traditional companies that are more hesitant to adopt Agile, I think that it could be that sense of, well, IT is a cost, and now you're just, you want to put in yet another framework and yet more cost. Yeah. So why is it so hard? So we're seeing a, in the financial services space and in many other spaces, we're seeing people buy that kind of capability, you know, an M&A to go after something that they think is innovative. Why is it so hard to make that happen in large companies that clearly are seeing the same trends 
the macro, as Julie Sweet would call it. They're seeing this. These are not dumb people. Why is it so hard? Organizational to, inertia. It's not the people. It's the organization. So an organ. It, this is this is again Wendy's view of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But organizations are entities all by themselves. I mean, they they have their own culture, etc. Right. They are made up of people, but there's there's they are a specific entity in and of themselves. And I think that 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 idea that an organization is suddenly going to change and reinvent itself is harder than you might think because you can have a bunch of individuals who want to change it but if they're not all aligned in the direction they want to go then you really won't get there Mm -hmm. so i think that the power of alignment is key yeah and and i don't want to walk past something i think that's really critical that you said like this the pressure that you face of it's a dueling pressure on the one side there's this, you know, IT is a cost center, do more with less. On the other side, drive innovation so that we can sustain and thrive and continue to grow. And so CK and I, we call it the, the CIO squeeze, right? It seems like a pretty common theme in the market. Do you sense that? Like, it, how do you get around that? Every like, day? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I'd love to hear more about it. I think it's about, and I'm a big fan of, of the concept of why, in order to reduce your costs of technology, you are going to have to spend money or resources to do so. So you have to compare that against the value of spending that same money against a business growth, innovation, et cetera. And I think it comes down to the CIO being accountable for stepping up to the plate and saying, let me explain these two pieces. But a CIO is not a lone person. A CIO has to work with a team. So I have found that when I've been most successful in being able to strike those conversations and get the outcomes we needed, it's been because I've had really great business and functional partners who are right at the table with me, really strong leadership team in the technology space all of us pulling and saying, we know we need to figure out how to articulate this in a meaningful way so that ultimately the business gets what it needs when it needs it. It comes down to prioritization. Sometimes the cost savings is absolutely more critical than the growth or the innovation right now. Sometimes the innovation, it's truly a case of, look, we've got to get this to market and we've got to get it there right now. Okay, everybody hold on over here. If you have to do both at the same time, part of the articulation has to be from the technology organization to the business and functional areas sitting around the table, exactly how challenging that's going to be and how disruptive it's going to be to everyone else trying to get anything else done. So I got to pick back up on the talent thing okay. a bit. So in maybe the old days, there is this view that how you got to being a CIO was to be excellent at big program execution on time, on budget, didn't matter if anybody was happy or not, but it would like, yeah, you met those metrics. Like, what advice in that for some young human director level trying to get to CIO in this world that we've been talking about for however long we've been talking about it? Like, what's your advice to them from a uh, talent and skills? What do they need for that now? Mm. I think that a truly successful CIO candidate needs to have technical aptitude. They need to keep up their technical skills. You have to be a constant lifelong learner. I think that you need to understand people. Mm. You need to have that people gene. And if you don't have it, cultivate it. You have to meet people yeah. where they are. If you just assume everybody's going to follow you, you're, you're kidding yourself. You really do need to meet people where they are. And then the, the third piece is really understand the business. 
spend your time understanding the business. This is all in addition to delivering. Yeah. I mean, to me, delivery is table stakes. It's back to your point, whether you're talking a big program, you're talking about how people have gotten to CIO in the past, it does come down to can you execute or not. If you can't, then this is probably not the path for you. Yeah. But if you don't keep up your technical skills, you don't focus on your, your people skills, you, the rest of it also doesn't matter. So I don't know what the future looks like of a CIO 10 years from now or 20 years from now, but I have a bet that I would make. I don't think the organizations of the future will look like the organizations of today. Because if you were to throw out organizational hierarchy and org charts that we have today, would you really design things the same way today if you did them from scratch? And my guess is you wouldn't. Because the blurring of the lines between digital, between innovation, between marketing, media, technology, all of it, it it's all blurred. Or it could be blurred. So the CIO of the future will be some title. Don't lock yourself into, I want to be a CIO. Lock yourself into, you want to do what you're great at and you want to contribute and make a difference. Wendy, thank you so much for being here with us today. It has been so awesome talking to you and CK. We myth-busted. We got real on all things enterprise agility with real experience. Can't thank you enough for, for being for here with us me. today. Thanks for having me. It was, was a lot of fun. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you all for joining us for Tough Conversations with CXOs, a podcast from Atlassian and Accenture. You can check out more about the work Atlassian and Accenture are doing on enterprise agility using the link in our show notes. We'll be back with more conversations soon. Follow us now on your podcast app and you won't miss an episode.